Hey, welcome back to Contractor Evolution. Benji and Igor here at the studio. People have been complaining about kids these days since before the dawn of time. This whole young people are entitled and don't know how good they have it thing isn't new. And it seems to be an especially well-used trope in trades and construction. And I get it. When you have young 20-somethings demanding a higher hourly wage than you ever made and the quality of their work is a little suspect, it's tough not to be a bit cynical. This puts you in a really tough spot though because as infuriating as some of these Gen Zers and millennials are to you, the physically demanding nature of your business means you need to find a way to connect, attract, and lead young people. The other pitfall of cynical thinking is that you paint a huge population with way too broad a brush. Writing off 70 million people as lazy is ironically, a form of laziness in and of itself. For every blue-haired TikToker that makes your eyes roll, there is a quiet, mechanically-minded kid who wants to work with their hands. And it's your job to find these youngsters and showcase what an amazing lifestyle and career is possible through trades and construction. Listen, our education system definitely ain't doing it. So like it or not, this responsibility lies squarely with you, the evolving contractor. So to bridge this gap and debunk some myths, we've brought in Eric Termundi to the studio today. He's a leadership author, a speaker, and an entrepreneur. Uh, Eric specializes in working with organizations to build incredible teams and attract this next generation. Now, what's really cool, Eric delivers north of 75 keynote speeches a year to large organizations such as John Deere, uh, Zoom, Amazon, Toyota, and various other trade associations. He's also an author of the book, Rethink Work, and he's been unpacking these generational challenges for the last seven years. Now, in today's episode, we get into a whole bunch of really cool stuff, such as how approaching the conversation in terms of like, you know, this generation versus that generation is pretty ass backwards. Uh, We talk about how to leverage the story that you already have in your business to catch the attention of ambitious, driven, and loyal young people. And we also talk about how this like physically demanding nature of your business might actually be its most attractive feature rather than a detractor. So we really enjoyed the conversation today with Eric and we know that you will too. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Hey, before we get started, make sure you subscribe to this channel. It really helps us produce all this awesome content for you totally for free. Eric, good to see you again, man. Welcome to the Contractor Revolution Show. I'm excited to be here. I feel like it's been a long time coming. Awesome. Uh, I want to start right here, Eric. Uh, There is, I want your take on this. There's a message or a thought pattern, an attitude, a mindset, whatever you want to call it, I've heard or seen floating around our industry. And I don't think that, I think most of our listeners probably don't subscribe to this, but they'll know what I'm talking about when I say it, which is a lot of business owners have this attitude, um, which is like the kids these days thing, (laughs) right? It's like young people are really lazy or they're super Uh entitled. They don't want to work. They're not interested in, in tradesy type jobs. They all just want to be digital marketers. Like whatever it is, the story that they have, they've got some, they've got some story that they've told themselves about, um, about younger generations, Gen Z, millennial. Mm -hmm. Those are the, those are the common scapegoats. So it's like, is this real? Is this generational? Is this generational gap a thing? Oh man. You're saying that the business owners that are listening don't think kids these days? I, I can't find a person that doesn't think that right now, <laughs> and in many times myself included. But uh, let's, try and, let's try and debunk this, this, let's call it a myth first, which might be a bit of a surprise to anyone who's listening now too. But um, okay, let's, let's see how we can do this. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a quote, and I'm going to see if you can tell me or, or, you, or, or who, who it was. Uh, the quote, it goes something like this. Uh, the, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners and contempt for authority. They love chatter in the place of exercise. The, do you, any any guess at whose quote? I don't know, but I'm, it's something old. Napoleon. Yeah, pretty close to Socrates' quote. Oh, okay. Even older. Even older, which 
makes me think that this whole like disdain or lack of understanding of the next generation isn't new. It's been going on for it's a long time. It's been going on. I mean, I remember reading this Newsweek article that uh, came out in 1993. I didn't read it in 1993, but I it came out Did in 1993. Did you read it in 1993? <laughs> exactly. I was just, uh, yeah, my first tooth. Anyways, um, this the, the, whole genera- the whole article was called like the, the, the whiny generation, the why me generation. And it, right. was, it was all about, it was all about je- uh, baby boomers talking about Gen Xers, right? Right. We had every time cover for the last 15 years talk about the insanity of the next generation that's coming. And the truth is we all have this sort of lack of understanding of the generation that comes before us. So what is it about kids these days that we really need to understand? Here's my thought, is that it isn't actually a generational conversation that we need to be having, at least not in the way that we've been having it. We were talking uh, before, before the show today about how our grandparents grew mm-hmm. up and the quality of life that they had. Maybe I'll just get you to share what you were sharing with us because it was like ten days ago. You were yeah, I was just time. talking about this. So ten days ago, I was I was I was cooking dinner with my grandma uh, in Macedonia in Eastern Europe, and um, you know, I, I, I've, I've I've been very close with her my whole life. I, I've I know a lot of about their kind of their life and their upbringing, but it was just, it hit me at a different level this time. Mm. Um, as we were talking about like when my mother, so her daughter was, mm-hmm. was younger, let's say 10 years old. So this is in the grand scheme of humanity. This is not very long ago, mm-hmm. but the reality of how different their mm-hmm. life was is staggering, right? She's talking about like, they have, they have a few kids, right? My grandparents, mm-hmm. uh, like washing Diapers, but this is not like how you have like throwaway ones, like like mm-hmm. cloth. Mm-hmm. But you don't just throw them in the washing machine. They literally like they go to the well. She goes to the well to get water. My grandpa was a high level military official, a mm-hmm. general, and uh, so he's away working. She's they're setting the fire in the wood burning. <laughs> She's setting the fire in the wood burning stove. So she has to get up early, early in mm-hmm. the morning to clean the stove mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the kids get up to be able to get food and stuff ready for them to to. To, to get boiling water, to clean diapers, mm-hmm. not to mention all the other stuff, like they had like a small farm to the side, yeah. getting food, cooking, uh, the way that you'd wash dishes. It's, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, t- twice a full-time job yeah. for, for, for a person to take care of kids. Uh, and, and, and that's, again, my grandma, I'm sitting there, sit, I'm standing there having and making dinner mm-hmm. with her. Um, it's, it's, it's so not long ago and, and just the reality of how different life was back then to now where, you know, you can fly here and, 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 and work on the plane on Wi-Fi yeah. as you're flying through the air at 980 kilometers an hour. Right. It's insane. So was this your mom's mom or your dad's mom, mom? Mom's, mom's mom, mom. Yeah. So, so what do you think your mom's mom would have said to your mom if she complained about the dishwasher being broken? Or <laughs> Totally, you know, right? She'd be like, you have no idea <laughs> like, how easy. Kids these days. <laughs> kids these days. You have a dishwasher right. that you're able to buy for $10,000 so cheap. You know, and now yeah. it's like, wait, it's totally. It's, it, everything has gotten so much easier mm-hmm. to the point, you know, so what we we're joking about earlier where you're like complaining if the Wi-Fi is off at, as you're sitting in the warm seat at 40,000 feet yeah, yeah. flying at a thousand kilometers an hour through the air. It's just, it's insane. By the way, where are my pretzels? <laughs> yeah, totally. So let's go back to your question because here's the thing. This is not a generational conversation in the yeah. way that we've been having it but it is a generational conversation. So mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a theory by you. Okay. Um, and uh, and we'll, we'll process this for a second, but it'll be fun at the same time. Uh, there, there's a theory by a gentleman named Buckminster Fuller, and he came up with this, this thought that he called the knowledge doubling curve that basically said before the year na- 1900, the amount of information that we had access to, not, not like you and I, but as a society had access to, doubled every 100 years. Right. So from 1700 to 1800, the amount of information that we had access to doubled. From 1800 to 1900, it doubled again. But there's an interesting sort of inflection point at the year 1900 where the amount of information that we had access to started to double at a halved rate. Okay. So every 50 so, years? Yeah, exactly. But it doubled again at 1950. So from 1950 to 1975, it doubled again. From 75 to 83, it doubled again to the point where, you know, and we've heard it before, the first industrial revolution, we're talking like the steam engine. Second, the assembly line. Third, early computing and robotics. Fourth, now what the World World Economic Forum says we're going through right now is this like AI age where we're not moving like steps or leaps forward. It's this exponential jump. So fast. Right? And we talked about this before. This year, 76 more times information exists on the internet than did just five years ago. Yeah. 
So the age that we're living in is wildly different. So what's happened in this knowledge doubling curve is that the amount of information is doubling so quickly that IBM actually predicted last year that the amount of information that we have access to now is doubling every 12 to 13 hours. Right. Everything we know about medicine, everything we know about space, everything we know about you know, biology and everything else is doubling at a rate that we've never seen before. So, so maybe I'll ask you this sort of final question as we sort of bring it home. When you were, when you were growing up in the back of the car, yeah. you know, what, what did you do to keep yourself busy? You know, I were five listen, years old or whatever it might have been. We listened to Michael Jackson's greatest hits and I played on what, Game Boy Color. Yeah, on CD-ROM. <laughs> on CD-ROM, maybe, yeah. or tape, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I, I remember I had one of the first Game Boys, too, Game Boy, Game Boy Color. And then, and then my brother, lucky guy, he had the Nintendo, like, Game Boy Advance. And then and he then had, like, the PlayStation. PSP, PSP yeah, right? Huge. How cool was that? Yeah. Then, you know, my younger cousin had, uh, had the caravan with the fold-down DVD screen. I remember that. Game-changing. Yeah. From there, we didn't even need that anymore. We just put the screens on the back of the headrests, which you know we thought was only for like the Hummer H2 at the time. Rich but kids. now all of a sudden, yeah, for rich kids, uh, kids these days. Uh, and then from there, all of a sudden, it was like right back to our phones and our screens. And now we can do like 5G LTE. We can play, you know, someone driving down the Trans Canada Highway going 120 kilometers an hour. We can play the Mario Kart real time. Before our Game Boy Colors and our books and our CDs, the, the backseat of the car didn't look all that much different. It was like yeah. I spy books, singing with our parents yeah. or whoever's in the front of the car, and then like fighting with our siblings if we had them. Totally. Yeah, since the invention of the since car. Since the invention of the yeah. car, you know? Yeah. So here's the thing. When we talk about kids these days, we're actually talking about something different. We're talking about this new era of individual that is growing up in a world that is substantially different than the world that you know, our parents or grandparents grew up in. So maybe I'll ask you this question. If, if you were to see that Woodstock generation mm. be like a Gen Z today, do you mm-hmm. think their wants, needs, demands, and asks would be any different than the kids that are coming up today no. would be? They'd be, not, they'd not be just chance. as entitled. They'd be just they'd be as lazy. Just as everything else, be because this isn't whatever. a generational conversation. No. This is an advancement of information and an advancement of society conversation. We're so s- we're seeing are, it now in, in every aspect. Are, are, when, when people are doing this trope, the kids these days, the kids these days bit, what mm-hmm. they're actually saying is the, in, the environment that kids were raised in has changed, and that may have negative effects, but the, the kid is the kid is the kid is the kid through time. That's pretty consistent. There's nothing wrong with the actual dates that these sure. children were born in. Sure. It's the environment. It's the technological advancement it's the access to information right. it's the wealth the luxury it's social media it's all these things can we That's call it a little bit of jealousy because you can't tell me that your grandma wasn't going to be a little bit jealous of your mom when she got, you know, a dishwasher mm-hmm. and she got yeah. heat, central heat in the house. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if that's what it is. I don't know. I don't want to call it blanket jealousy, but there's going to be some elements where, you know, our parents or whoever it might be, or maybe the business owners that are listening, they're thinking like, are you kidding me? I slaved so hard, yeah. so many long days to get to where I am today. And, w- and look, here's what I want to say. I don't want to discount any of the hard work that's been put in. Nor do I want to discount or suggest that someone who's just starting their career doesn't need to put in the long, hard hours, too. It's just that the expectation of what's possible, primarily due to the accessibility of information, it starts to paint a different picture. One last example. When I look at how my parents you know, would have got their first jobs, maybe it was at the community center, maybe it was at the high school, maybe it was at Classified the university. Classified ads. Classified. They literally pulled, pulled it off it a off bulletin the, board. Yeah. Are you kidding me? The two of us could go on right now on Monster, Indeed, on LinkedIn. Yep. We could have a job in Sweden by the end of the month, <laughs> having Easy. never been there before. No problem. Here's the problem. We get to Sweden and we realize that, hold on, not only is this job not a good fit, I don't even like Sweden. Right. Yeah. Which then paints a bigger picture because now companies are fighting for all this talent that they don't even know that they want because the person that's applying doesn't know if that's the job that they want either. And so there's this entire mismatch of people because we've set the bar way too high. We've painted this beautiful picture about how awesome it is to work at our place of work or, you know, our job Mm -hmm. site or whatever it might be. And this person only sees the perks and the benefits. And then when they get there, man, it's almost like going to your favorite steak restaurant and realizing Mm -hmm. that the steak's cold when you get it. Like you just had this this beautiful vision in your mind and all of a sudden you're it's just just disappointment when it gets there. The yeah. case could be made, though, like, like here's, here's what I think someone listening might say. They sure. go, yeah, 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 I hear you, I hear you. Okay, so you know, there's nothing wrong with kids these days, but, but listen, you just said it yourself. 
things are changing must much faster. This like duplication of information mm-hmm. thing is a real thing. And therefore it's different. The gap is wider. And I know that like, you mm-hmm. know, my grandparents, grandparents were complaining about kids these days, but I swear to God, it's different these days. There's social media. Mm-hmm. There's, there's all these other like yeah. forces that are making it worse. And, sure. and so like, what would you say to someone who, who maybe has that attitude having heard what we just said? Well, I mean, the whole point of what I'm trying to say is that, like, you know, we've heard it before. The future of work is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. You know, we have this we have this accessibility to technology. We have many people that can work remotely, work from home, work via Zoom, work with still maybe a white collar on and never get out of bed. Right. And then you've got some traditional job sites that maybe technology hasn't impacted all that much. Maybe from like the marketing, maybe from the the Mm -hmm. development and how we're getting new clients. Sure, technology might be used in that Mm -hmm. case quite a bit. But uh, what I'm trying to say here is that we can't blanket generalize a generation. I mean, chances are you don't want that Gen Z or millennial who's making TikTok videos and dancing, you know, in front of the mirror. You don't want them. They're not what your business is. You probably don't want them. No, right? You probably don't want them. I mean, roofing, you, if your roofing companies are not successful, yeah. it's not because you've not hired the TikToker. No, that, and, <laughs> and that's the thing is we like to think that the, the, you know, these millennials or these Gen Zs are all one person. You know, yeah. I could ask the two of you what your favorite genre of music is. You'd probably give me something different. Your favorite style of movie, you'd give me something different. Your favorite or your dream vacation, you'd give me something yeah. different. I could ask you what your favorite kind of coffee is and when you had it last, you'd tell me and I'd tell you in return, I haven't had a cup of coffee in my entire life. Yeah. You know, all this to say that we, you know, if we look at maybe last year, between which years were millennials born? Just give me like a, a rough range. It's like 1988 to like 2002. Okay. It's Any like other, late 70s or like 1980. They're 25 to 40 right now. Yeah, right. So you said 88, you said late 70s. Now, even there, it's we've a got a 10 year discrepancy. Come on, man. Yeah. But see, here's my point this is not to point fingers at either of you. What I'm trying to say is we love to generalize and label a generation. Right. We can't even it's define easy. them. We it's can't easy. even define yeah. them. And look, if we look at the research that I've been looking at, anything from like PwC to the census to like, um, you know, to the labor statistics, you know, we can get anywhere from 1977 to 2004. Everyone says something different. Everyone says something different. And, and yet they all describe this generation to be the exact same. Some of them are paying off their student loans and others are preparing for their kids' student loans. Right. You know, it's it's just it, it's so funny how we love to label and generalize generalize this generation. We can't we can't even define. So, if we really want to attract this generation, this next generation, stop trying to attract a generation and start trying to attract an individual, an individual right. that wants the lifestyle that you've got, that your people have got, and ultimately then too is bigger than just what happens from like nine to five or maybe seven to three. It's like the lifestyle that they want to live. Do you want to be home for dinner? <laughs> Do you want mm-hmm. to be working weekends? Do you want to have some sort of entrepreneurial endeavor where you can build a team? Mm-hmm. Like these are the stories that we don't hear about in the industry mm-hmm. because we're trying to think like, how can we Instagram this? Yeah, Maybe yeah, the yeah. point is you don't, and that's probably why people want to work there in the first place. I think what I find um, really fascinating is is when you, you know, I, I hear this at conferences, you see it in webinar rooms, we'll overhear it at, at some of our group calls in, in Breakthrough Academy. Like this conversation does come up, um, but I, I have to say like when you peel back the layers of the businesses, of the people who are saying this, mm-hmm. like who lean on this, mm-hmm. this talking point a lot, what you'll see is the generational thing is actually more of a scapegoat to like excuse really lousy employer brand, not a very good value proposition to the employee, not a super dynamic culture, not a ton of growth opportunities. And it's like, I I hate to single out some individuals, but there are people who just literally have like a shitty deal that they're offering young people. And then when they don't (laughs) apply, they go like, well, young, like these kids, they don't want to work. And it's like, yeah, no, they just found something better somewhere yeah, else. What you're so they selling can make is right. not. Is, what they're is, selling is, is, is not you, very good. Yeah. What you're selling is not totally. what they want. So, Eric, the, with this problem that still remains, then, so in, in contracting, in trades, and there are a bunch of other similar industries where there is a reality that that the work, like you have, you do have to show up. You mm-hmm. have to do the thing, no and doubt. it's not always easy. And sometimes it's raining, and sometimes it's cold, and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and on av- like a for most, they cannot bring young people in fast enough. So how do we solve for that in your opinion? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is that, 
you know everything that you said obviously is very true but if i were to go if i were to go to like the careers or the about us page <laughs> it's often very sunny mm-hmm. and nobody's got their hands dirty mm-hmm. you know and everyone's got this nice press shirt on right you know so i just think that often the thing that we're selling and the thing that we're providing are very different it's like mm-hmm. ordering a size 12 shoe and realize a size 8 comes and you wonder this isn't exactly what i signed up for you see that you know? on on average oh, a lot but of it's companies? not just in construction and yeah. trades it's it's across the board i mean we'll see this in every industry in every sector every size no matter what and i think what we're realizing is that we're we're, we're starting to fail to understand what is what is the best place to work so i'll dive okay. into this Let's for a unpack second that. Um, Fortune magazine put out their best. Okay, uh, let's use a let's use a British Columbia example while we're here. Um, can you name two of the top, let's just say, ten places to work, large companies to work for in, in British Columbia? Lululemon, Odoe Brands, Arcteryx. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also up there is Ledcor. <laughs> also mm. up there is Telus. Right. Also up there is Finning. Okay. Yeah. And look, all these are great companies. All companies, these are great yeah. companies, no yeah. doubt. But would somebody that works at Ledcor want to work at Lululemon? No. Not no. necessarily. Right. Would and somebody by, that works at Telus want to work at Finning? Yeah. Would somebody at Finning want to work at Telus? That's no, really absolutely not. See, here's the thing is we're trying to say like, oh, we've got the best place to work. Here's my question. For who? For who? <laughs> right. And the only answer to that question, if we really want to understand who it's for, is to ask the people that are already working for us. Mm-hmm. What is the life that you like to live? How do we support that for you? Mm-hmm. And how can we actually showcase you as an A player on this team to then attract people who are like you, who want to live a similar lifestyle that you mm-hmm. do, and ultimately understand and work sort of the sim- similar hours that you might so do? It, is this a newer thing where it's almost like an employer's responsibility to help create a lifestyle for the people that work there? Or was that always like that? Uh, I just think, again, when we go back to how much information is accessible right now, Mm -hmm. we can see more of it. I don't think it's a responsibility for an employer to then create this, like, almost like avatar of the perfect employer. Mm What will happen is, like, these people will emerge and then uh, end up staying with you longer because they fit and they enjoy the experience more. Where I think the missed opportunity is is that we're not giving... Let me rephrase. It's not that we're not giving these people the tools. It's that we're not showcasing these people enough to other people who are like them when mm-hmm. we're trying to build the company. Let's be very clear. You know, we often think that the taller the stack of the resumes, the better chance we are had. You know, the better chance we have of hiring great talent. It's not always true, though. It's in fact, it's very much the opposite. Chances are, if you have a, a stack of resumes this high, you've done a very poor job at actually articulating the experience. Of mm-hmm. what people are going to live on the job. So instead of having 150 resumes, I'd rather see 15, because then you know 135 people vetted themselves out of the job, saved you and the people who are applying a lot of time because they realize it's not for mm-hmm. them in the first place, and now they can get a better understanding of what it's like not just to work wherever you're working, but live the life that your people are, mm-hmm. are living too. So it sounds like you're a big fan of having a lot of clarity and a lot of definition around who am I as an employer and as mm-hmm. a company mm-hmm. and what do we offer our people? Is that fair to say? Yeah, totally. I mean, I would love to see like on average, you know, a day in the life of an average employee from the time that they wake up to like, mm-hmm. you know, how many, how many nails they hammered, how many holes they dug, you know, how many meetings they had, how many emails they wrote, how many phone calls they were on, what time they got home mm-hmm. from work, you know, because, because that's the life that they're ultimately going to live. Right. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we, we like to think that this is the, 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 the job is an isolated event, an isolated experience. Let me offer this. We don't sign up for jobs anymore. We sign up for lifestyles. Huh. And the job that we live dictates the lifestyle that we will ultimately lead. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. So how do you how do you t- like you think about our most of our listeners are going to like they're running small to medium sized construction and trades businesses. These are renovators, painters, landscapers, mm-hmm. roofers. They're doing a million dollars a year to ten million dollars a year as a mm-hmm. range. Their employees are um, their employees are going to be like field going to be like you know, laborers, carpenters, skilled carpenters. They'd be like technicians they'd be ticketed guys and girls of different types you'd have project managers you'd have production managers operations managers you might in some businesses you have like an estimation team or a sales team so like it's these types of roles and they are these are like physically demanding roles the these are 
you know, you're geographically pinned. You're not going to be a remote worker. Like, let's be real. You, you want, you sure. need to hire like uh, someone to build homes for your company. It's like, you mm-hmm. can't promise them like, Oh, like go do like three months in Thailand and work from there. It's like, that's not part right, of the deal. Right. And I think that's what a lot of our listeners, they're like, they're challenged by that. They're like, well, there's all this cool stuff that all these other people are doing. Like, I don't know if this is that cool. They feel almost insecure about what they're offering. But mm-hmm. what I know to be true, because we work with these people, is that there's an unbelievable lifestyle to be had in this world, like like better than what a lot of other people have, way better. So how how would a, a listener who runs a business right now go go about showcasing the not just the role, but the lifestyle that they mm-hmm. have and the, the lifestyle that they've created for their team? Like, what should they actually go and do? Well, I'd probably go back about 15 seconds and, and really hone in on better first. Because, you know, you could say live a better life or have a better lifestyle. I think that therein lies the problem in this entire conversation is that we think there is a universal better. Mm-hmm. And that whole like sort of headbutting sort of we're better than you, you're better than me is where all of this is really originating from. I mean, look, I grew up in Cranbrook, British Columbia, small town, 22,000 people in the very southeast corner of British Columbia. I got friends here on the 34th story of you know, some condo building downtown thinking like, how, the, how did you grow up there? Yeah. And then I get people in Cranbrook are thinking like, are you kidding me? What are you doing in this city? How do you even like, how do you even get a good night's sleep? You know, I, I and felt so, a stark you know, between people. Yeah. And, and so the, to define better than as a universal better is mm-hmm. a miss. You're saying so, everyone's different with different uh, needs and wants and totally. desires. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this before that, you know, there are, there are two Canada's, there are two Americas there, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. two might yeah. even be an understatement. Yeah. There are more so, than two Americas. Right. And so to suggest that one is better than the other mm-hmm. really sort of puts you <laughs> as the one dictating what it means to be better. Yeah. Chances are that really lacks empathy in understanding who the people that are living there and what they define to be better is. Mm-hmm. And so here's the thing. Growing up in Cranbrook, BC, the best part about Cranbrook <laughs> is that it's not Calgary and it's not Vancouver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 10 minutes away from a lake. I'm hiking in the morning. I'm doing everything outside. Hunting and fishing, which we talked about, is like the mm-hmm. easiest two tasks on the planet. And <laughs> just having as much fun as possible. Now here, I go up to Grouse Mountain on like, you know, January 15th. I'm waiting 90 minutes yeah. to get on the chair for the first time. Meanwhile, it's night skiing, so I got a total of three runs. I've spent 75 bucks. Yeah. Now go in and get a hot chocolate for 10 more. Forget it. No way. Yeah. So here's the thing. Let's go back to your question. You know, how do we start to tell these stories is that we get into something bigger than just what happens on the job site. Because, yes, the job site is going to be important. It's going to be demanding. But what I want to understand is, like, what's that community that we're going to be a part of? What's that lifestyle that we're going to get to live? And then how do we get to connect with people who share similar values, similar interests, mm. so that we can build a life with them too? Interesting. We, we've had, like, that's one thing we've been encouraging a lot of our members to do. We've talked about this on other episodes. Is like, build a join our team page, build a careers page, and on it house a really nice video that showcases the team, the environment, mm-hmm. the job sites, the commute, like show, yeah. tell the story of what it's like to work for you. But don't wait for the sunny days to shoot the stuff too. Yeah, and yeah. Don't wait for people to just get out of the shower before you turn the camera on because the chances are people are happiest when they've got paint on their clothes, you know, mm-hmm. when they've got a stripe down their nose, when they just finished yeah. this wall and they can go back and look at what they've done. You know, I think that's the story that's being missed because even when you do over manufacture and over polish these videos, you're turning people away who want the experience that these people are actually having that you're failing to tell. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Just saying to be authentic about oh, who man, you are. We when talk you about authenticity that. all the time yeah. and we still fail to miss it. I yeah. mean, it's just, so, uh, yeah. I guess the first step in all of this is like as an organization, as a leader even, and as a brand, you first have to kind of understand who you are. Oh man. Which especially, is a whole topic. Yeah, but especially as, you know, uh, a smaller organization, you know, you're just talking that one to one to $10 million entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, pff, double down on like what is the life that I want to live right now, because right. like you know we talked we we talk about like presenteeism or even absenteeism at the, yeah. at the, the, the board meeting or something like that. Chances are the reason why that entrepreneur who's sitting at the table who's not present and dealing with their people right now is probably because they've got tasks on their mind that they didn't sign up to to, mm-hmm. to really do when they got into the business in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so really understanding that you know can we double down on the things that we like to do outsource the things that we don't and build a team of people who are complementary in their skill set but aligned in their way of work and i mm-hmm. think that's going to be ultimately sort of like that secret sauce yeah 
Very interesting. How? What is your advice on uh, when when an entrepreneur is really trying to figure out, uh, like as as a brand and especially as an employer brand, who are we in terms of like our values, um, and 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 what is our company culture? I think a lot of people mm-hmm. really oversimplify that. Like we are. You know, we work hard and yeah. we do the right thing, right, and we, right. you know what I mean? Like, like a hot, like all too tell, well. Tell me a bit about and that. And it's even it's even worse, you know, when you get into like the corporate side of things. Oh, too. You know, we value integrity and innovation, it's and just honor and respect. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing: it's like it's it's well intended, yeah, yeah, right? And it's supposed to be unifying. The problem, though, is that the English language, especially in this like Instagram economy, mm-hmm. is that. <laughs> You know, I, I, I looked at someone's post this morning and she was at a coffee shop and had this like banana bread and tea. And the, she's like, this is a life changing, phenomenal piece of banana bread. Like, it's a miracle that this thing even landed on my plate. And, and I, I, I look at words like that to describe breakfast. Um, yeah. And um, I'm thinking like, what happens when your friend gets like pregnant after she was told that there was no way that she could get right. pregnant? Like what words what do, do we use? use to describe something that is actually miraculous <laughs> so true. and is actually life-changing yeah. and is actually, you know, incredible. So saying words have become watered down. In words, yeah, they're words, like we, words we, just don't mean anything anymore. No. And, that's, and that's why <laughs> I've got a theory that I've never said publicly before, but that's why people, when they like get engaged or something now, will say something like, no big deal, but just got engaged yeah. because like there are no other words that they can use Chances are, if you look lower in that feed, they've used miraculous and incredible to use their to describe their banana bread that morning. So they don't have any <laughs> words to use left. So they use things like no big deal, which takes us back to the values and things like that. So here's what I would recommend. Instead of looking at like mission, vision, values, which I think if they're done properly can still be very, very yeah. valuable. Instead, what I would like to understand are like what are habits and behaviors and actions, Right. So what are the actual things that we do every day that either support the values or negate the values? Like if Mm -hmm. we say that we honor or sorry, if we say that we value respect to the customer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what I would love to see is like instead of like respect the customer or in addition to maybe even more importantly, in addition to value the customer, just say like, did we follow up? after the call to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Did we do this next thing and yeah. send them like some sort of branded piece of swag to show that we appreciated the work that we just did with them? Mm-hmm. Like, and then now we can start to check off these actions. We're actually doing the actions We're actually doing these it, things yeah. because here's the thing. In many cases, we don't even know what the actions are. Like mm-hmm. we value innovation. It's just a $5 what? word that What's goes innovation? on the wall. Yeah, no, I know. You can't uh, even define I, it. But if you had innovation and then a bullet point, like here are a bunch of examples right. of what innovation. We try three new things every day. Boom. Okay, so now on Friday, Mm -hmm. what are the 20 or sorry, what are the 15 new things that we tried this week? And then we can go back and we can measure against our values. Now we can actually see measurable improvements and we can unify people on Mm -hmm. those values that we put out there in the first place to ensure that we're all aligned and still marching to the same beat of the drum. I do think that there's there's something to be said for... uh, Values are important. Try to make them not just like a fancy $5 word, but make it a phrase. And then if you can actually go the next step, do it like semicolon. And here's what we mean by that. Like like give it a a paragraph if you need Mm -hmm. to, but really speak in concrete language. Provide examples. Provide practical, actionable steps that Mm -hmm. one could take to live out those values. Because what ends up happening without that is it it really is just a poster on the wall. And you walk by it and people go, yeah, like we're really big on integrity here. And then you'd ask someone to define it and they, they wouldn't know how. I, like, inte- like, that's a tough one, even as yeah. it is. But look, in construction or in trades, we see safety all the time mm-hmm. as a value. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got a problem if it's not a value, first of all. But secondary, like are we talking physical safety? Are we talking emotional safety? 100%. Are we talking psychological safety? Right. Yeah. And even within those different categories of safety, how are we exemplifying what that looks right. and feels like on a daily basis? Totally. Chances are we, we don't even get there. 100%. I want to just come back to this whole recruiting conversation sure. and attracting young people. So um, you, you talked a bit about this balance of needing to sell a position and like the brand and marketing that exists within this and really should exist within it to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we make something sound cool, but also be transparent about what the reality of the work is? Because you said that you see in the, in the general business landscape that there is quite a disconnect between what employers are selling and the mm-hmm. reality of how well or rather not well they've created that work environment. So what's your balance? Like, how do you recommend that employers go about this delicate balance? 
Well, I mean, first you have to get the attention of the individual, and I think we can do that in the ways that we discussed, you know, mm -hmm. talking about a day in the life of, talking about sort of those actions. But I think prior to taking the job, it, the onus is on the employer to then have an employee mm -hmm. take that person for lunch, you know, take them for coffee, have them job shadow for a day. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a paid day. You mm -hmm. know, maybe it's maybe it's two hundred bucks. Yeah, I'll tell you that is the best two hundred bucks you'll yeah. ever right. spend if you realize Come that person's see the reality either a great this. place yeah. to work or not before you really before invest you really into invest. Yeah. And then it's to mutual. You. And then yeah, to you. of course, yeah. of course. Look. Um, the biggest thing that I think is missed in the working world right now is that we don't have we don't spend enough time having the team interview with the team. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's a recruiter who's never worked a day in the life of the <laughs> right. job ever, yeah. trying to figure out if this person's going to be <laughs> a good fit or not. It's a tall order. It's a very tall order, especially when you don't know the job. Uh, you know, and you can get the rubber stamp of the entrepreneur or the business owner and say, yes, that's great. You can be qualified. You can have the skills. You can have the physical ability. You can do all these things. That's great. Here's what I would understand. Here's what I want to understand. I'd want that individual to then go into a meeting with the person they're going to be spending eight hours a day with, <laughs> you know, hauling drywall around or grabbing paint for or whatever the situation is. And just like, see, do, do these two get along? Do these four get along? And then I would also plant the prospective employee with questions like, what do you do on the weekends? You know, mm -hmm. tell me like, what was your, you know, do you get injured on the job? Like, are you stiff and sore? Like, what does an average day actually look like? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like, are you married? Do you have kids? When's the last time you left the city or the state or the province or the country? Yeah. You know, uh, if it's a holiday, where do you like to go? And then you get to see like, oh man, I actually, I didn't think it, but I actually want a lot of those things too. Right. Or, or you say, you know, I, I don't at all mm -hmm. <laughs> and thinking, Thank goodness, this is great for both of us. Look, one of the best places to work in, like the in the corporate world, is, is Zappos in La, in Las mm -hmm. Vegas. Mm -hmm. Zappos is an online shoe retailer, and they have the they are notorious for this culture that is unlike anything else. Like you go in there, and there's like maracas and tambourines and ferns and streamers, and like all the walls are mm -hmm. painted like bright r rainbow colors, and they're all about like fun and play. And I tell you, like I saw this video of Zappos and it's supposed to be like this, like appealing to, you know, this like yeah. us, you know, avocado loving millennials, right? right. It's, it's supposed to be like a dream come true. <laughs> I looked at that thing. I was like, I, I couldn't spend 10 minutes in there. Right. No way. But because Zappos did such a good job at painting what it's like to work inside Zappos, they've got a lineup around the block. And they have for the last 15 years of yeah. people that want to work there. And there's a specific type of person. They're not it's trying not to attract me. No. Yeah, but there is right. a type of person. Yeah, so you're saying everybody's different. And, you know, to your point, Benji, we don't just use broad brushstrokes to paint like this is better, mm -hmm. right? Or this is what this whole generation is like or isn't like or this is what is good or isn't good. Mm -hmm. um, everyone is an, is, is an individual. Here's the thing. I'll sort of marry the two questions around values and this like recruiting question yeah. too because, you know, you said, um, you know, what should companies do on that value side of things? If I were to like think critically for a second, I couldn't, t I've never done a values exercise personally. I don't know if you guys have, um, but I don't, I don't know what my values are. So I don't know if they align with the company's values. I mean, safety sounds cool. Innovation sounds, sounds neat. Integrity, I think I have that. Respect, communication, yeah, I mean, who doesn't think they're, they're those <laughs> things, right? On the flip side, though, and I'm able to have a conversation with somebody that's working there and really understand like, what they do, how they like to approach their job, only then will I be able to think like, oh, actually, yeah, that's what they mean when they say these values, and that's how this shows mm -hmm. up, and that's the life. Look, you ask, you ask a 16, 17, 20-year-old what they want to be and what they want to do when they grow up, man, I'm still trying to figure out the answer to that question. Yeah. And so for anyone to have this like, well-defined, polished answer of like, here's who I want to be when I grow up, I mean, either A, they're really fortunate and have a really mm -hmm. great deal of understanding of themselves, or B, they're making it up like the rest of us are. Yeah. You know? And so only if we're exposed to the individuals that we can look up to and admire and really aspire to be, only then can we think like, mm -hmm. oh, maybe this is actually going to be a great opportunity for me. Yeah, so key point is is in, in the recruiting environment, you want to really expose people as much as you can to the actual workings of the organization, very objectively, as you say, totally. not, not just on a sunny day. And if you're, if you're sitting here thinking, wow, I really wouldn't want to do that, mm. you should probably rethink the operational 
aspect of your business. Right? Look, I mean, from a physical standpoint, this stuff is going to be there like three generations ago and three generations into the future. I think what you're talking about, though, too, is more like leadership qualities and that psychological safety side of things. And mm-hmm. like, are we giving the support to the individuals that allow them to feel like mm-hmm. they can grow and develop in this role? Do they mm-hmm. feel like they matter? Do they feel that they're making a difference? Because ultimately, when we look at leadership across the board right now, that's where work is changing most. I mean, look, we talk about the future of work all the time. I don't think the future of work is about the task or the job at all. You know, I had a friend that just moved from an accountant at a heavy machinery company to an accountant at like one of the big four. Her job didn't change, but yeah. the lifestyle totally changed. And what she moved for was better leadership, not mm-hmm. a better task. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the differentiator in this case, too, even from companies within the sector, or within the industry, is going to be leadership and not the job itself. I think yeah. that's a big thing that's missing in the recruiting message for a lot of our members. And it's, it's something that they already have that's not being showcased well enough, which is this is a s- small to medium-sized business. I am here in the business almost every day. Mm-hmm. I will like, you know, I'm not going to be right next to you every day you work, but I am a phone call away or a, or a text message away. Mm-hmm. I'm here to mentor you. I'm mm-hmm. here to work closely with you. There's such a, you met, you, I heard you use this word earlier, like this absenteeism in a lot of businesses where you, you, you start and you go through your onboarding period and three weeks later, you're kind of just like sitting there figuring it out yourself. And I think that, um, the businesses that we work with are of a size and of a nature where there's absolutely an opportunity to be present, to be hyper engaged. And it might surprise a lot of our listeners how much young people, mm. to use a you know blanket statement again, but how much young people are looking for that, how much that is actually missing in their lives. Mm. Well, sorry, really quick, Eric, would you agree, like, is, is this a true fact that the expectation on average people, what kind of expectation they have around the quality of their work, their employer and their leader is increasing. Is that happening with social media and the amount of transparency that is around? Like, do they expect more than they used to because they see what awesome looks like all around them? Mm-hmm. Now, whether it's real or not is a whole other conversation, mm-hmm. but is, is, is there an increase in expectations that young people have? The answer I'm going to give you is like a gut answer, not a research back answer, because I don't have I don't have the research on that. What I will say though is that when you get every industry and every sector putting out their best two percent in mm-hmm. that ad, which is what's happening, then what's happening is that expectations across the board are being blown out of proportion completely. Yeah. Not only that, but we do that on our Instagram filters and everything else, so we see that from like person to person too. What I do think is happening though is that individuals are craving attention more and more because they're getting less and less of it. Mm-hmm. On average, we're checking our phones 82 times a day. We're spending four, three and a half to four and a half hours a day in front of our, you know, our, our cell phones. Yeah. In many cases, we're spending 10 or 11 hours a day in front of a screen in general. Like the numbers are absolutely staggering. And you might be thinking, well, not in construction. Great. Tell that story. Right. Because so many people are looking for that connection. They're looking to matter. They're looking to, you know, actually see the work mm-hmm. that they're doing. They're looking to feel these things that they're not able to feel in any other sector or industry. Mm-hmm. And so we often think that the things that, you know, are going to detract people from the industry, I want to flip that and say, maybe that's exactly what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. I think that it is. You I know? think that it is. And it's not everyone. Maybe it's 5% of the population. But those are the 5% of the population, that's still plenty. too many. That's plenty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. And, and you might think that like the industry has a talent shortage. Well, your company doesn't have to. Right. Look, we've got a talent shortage across both Canada and the United States right now. In every now, sector. But that, in every sector. But that doesn't mean that every company has a talent shortage. Yeah, because this is a huge economy. You <laughs> can't just also economy. paint it with, with broad brushers. Within no. that, there are serious winners and real losers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how good of a job can you do in there? But anyway, so back to the leadership element. I think it, at, at some level, like yeah, expectations are high because they uh-huh. see the best of the best on social media everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Benji, sorry, you you were asking about like expectations on leadership here. Well, I I, I was asking like like I, I actually it was more of a statement. I, I think that there is an opportunity to to talk about your present leadership mm-hmm. as a feature and a benefit for the potential people. That, <laughs> if you are a present, leader. if you are if you are <laughs> indeed that, and I think that a lot of our listeners are, so that should be a part of what right. you're trying to communicate. <laughs> I could also see, though, people listening and just kind of like rolling their eyes like, great, I have to hold hands with these kids and tell them they're doing great. That's and, not what and, we're saying. I know that's not what you're saying, and I just don't want to make sure that that's not what's being heard. But if you want like a quick like framework, 
here's something that I would invite you to consider. Like every week, formally or informally, just ask the team three questions. Number one, what should we start doing? Number two, what should we stop doing? And number three, what should we continue doing? See, here's what happens when we create this space. And we're talking like 15 minutes, not like a half day yeah, or anything like questions. that. Just simple questions. What happens is we, you know, we talk about innovation. We talk about psychological safety. When we put this meeting in place, it happens no matter what, every week, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Then what happens is we create a safe space for people to share any idea that they have about anything. Yeah. Could be about marketing, could be about onboarding, could be about how we're doing some sort of project, could be about a new best practice that we've heard. But when we ask what we should start, stop, and continue doing, we create space for new ideas. We get rid of old practices that might not serve us right now. And finally, when we ask what we can continue doing, we reinforce and revalidate some of the things that are happening and going uh, that, are, that are working really well. The most important part of this exercise, though, is not even the ideas that come from it. It's the fact that you're creating this space where people can share ideas. Totally. And what's going to happen on a weekly basis is that, you know, week two, week three, week four, week five, maybe you go around the table and maybe someone says, no, I don't really have anything this week. But that's great because when they do, they're not going to the be afraid. Open. The door's open. Yeah. The amount of times where I've had somebody come up to me and said, yeah, you know what? I heard that. And, and I, just last week, I wrote up this awesome three-paragraph email. I got my partner to edit it, spell check it for me. It was so great. You know what I did right before I pressed send? Select all and deleted the whole thing. My mm -hmm. boss doesn't have time. Might think this is a stupid idea. I do have a promotion coming up in six months. and I I'm wouldn't just want not, gonna, to, I'm just not yeah. going to do it at all. Mm -hmm. Here's the question I have for anyone who's listening today. Where would you be right now if you heard and understood every single idea that every one of your people had? Now, to be very clear, I don't mean that you've run with it or that you've mm -hmm. tried everything, but if you at least heard it. And I'm not even talking about where you'd be in terms of an advancement stage. Where would your people be in terms of like how psychologically safe they'd feel and relaxed they'd feel and how fewer things they'd have on their shoulders or in mm -hmm. the back of their mind? There'd just be so much more openness to these ideas that come up that, man, I would just be, and I'm not talking construction specifically. I'm talking like in any industry. Mm -hmm. Imagine where we'd be if everyone could share their ideas without fear of repercussion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pretty incredible. Awesome. Yeah. And, and the note on the presence of leadership, like it takes a present leader, whether you're going to role with any of these ideas or not, yeah. it still takes a present leader to actually sit down right. and listen and sure. make someone feel heard yeah. and understood. Yeah. And, 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 and to be clear, I think the fastest way to speed up human connection is to slow down. Really? We've got, we've always got things that we could be doing, but when we take mm -hmm. the time to have these conversations and really foster a deeper sense of connection across the team, that it doesn't take a long meeting or for them to happen like four times a day mm -hmm. to build a team that trusts each other, mm -hmm. that knows that each other, that everyone has each other's backs. In fact, a study out of the NBA uh, not too long ago showed that um, in like the Steve Nash era showed that the, that there was a correlation between the number of like taps, like ass taps, shoulder <laughs> taps, you know, back taps <laughs> and how well the team was doing. Not because like the physical touch symbolized we have your back. Right. Mm -hmm. And so again, we don't need to do like half day, full day workshops every month to make sure that we're all holding hands and making sure that everyone's happy and healthy it's just like hey you okay you know you good just these constant like, you know mm -hmm. reaffirm just make sure everything's good you just take the time to be present just for that second to say hey i'm here for you it'll be amazing what happens next it's a really great point right because i think a lot of p a lot like there's a reluctance to to lean into this because you like they have this vision where it's like oh we're all we're all going to be like in a circle singing kumbaya and we're all going to take like you know, two days off a week right. for personal days and personal growth and like none of the projects are going to get finished. It's like, right. that is not what we're saying. No, no. Like you can, you can be a present leadership. You right. can care deeply about your people. You can listen to them. Um, and that, and you can, you can do that in your own style and mm -hmm. it can be as, it can be as tradesy as sporty. It can be as like, you can define it however you want, but don't like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and be like, mm -hmm. ah, well that doesn't work for construction and trades. That might be great for tech and like those other businesses, yeah. but like we can't And that's do that why here. I wanted to like really ensure that we're no, we're not mm -hmm. talking about like kumbaya sessions here. No. You know, we're just talking about just check-ins. <laughs> yeah. I want to come back to, to one powerful thing you said just a second ago, which is this, like you believe the, the best way to go fast is, is to slow down and be present. I think, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs in, in a lot of industries, but especially in contracting, feel like a really big pull mm -hmm. uh, because of the operational complexity of the business. Like you need to bring in leads. There's so much going on in the 
estimating and quote like the quoting and 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 selling side of the business you're you're hiring staff you're training them the operational complexities of running many crews at a time with many job sites at a time the administrative and i could go on and on mm-hmm. but the point is is there's so much on the mind right mm-hmm. uh and and there are there are a lot of entrepreneurs in this space that struggle with this element of just feeling very distracted there's like mentally you have so many things to worry about in so many places to be um, what are your thoughts on that from a, a leadership perspective, especially of this young generation that it does expect a lot of leaders? Um, what do entrepreneurs need to be mindful of in context of what you say, which is the slowing down mm-hmm. to actually be able to go fast? What I'm talking about when I say slowing down is more on the relationship and the connection building with the team. Mm-hmm. Like I can recognize we're all going to be distracted and have you know so many things going on at the same time that um, speed is going to be really important. The one thing that I've learned now is that you know when we talk about innovation and we talk about problem solving, what, what I found is that innovation itself is a slow process. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean we have to create the time to think and we have mm-hmm. to create the space to be able to breathe. Then the follow-up, though, the learning, the development, the growth, the pivoting, that all is like lightning fast right. because we can't dwell on things. Mm-hmm. We have to learn from it. We have to adjust very quickly, and we have to keep going. But I would say even on a personal level, you know, the nights that I get a good sleep, mm-hmm. <laughs> the nights where I have like a, you know, a morning where I can have 30 minutes before I get started. And look, I don't mean that this is at 9 in the morning. I mean, it might still be at 5.30 or 6, yeah. you know. But the, 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 the more time I can take to intentionally slow down, the better I'll be throughout the day. I mean, look, the analogy is that if you go to the gym eight days in a row, you're going to wear your body down. You're going to be hurt. You're not going to be able to go on the ninth. Mm-hmm. But if you go up for three days, work out different areas of the body, take a day off, and then go mm-hmm. back, I mean, that's when you're not only going to not get sick or not get hurt, but you'll build stronger and you'll be, end, up, end up being better at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a leader, that, that, that to be able to slow down with your people and give the space needed to create connections and allow time to think and mm-hmm. process through things mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the note of leadership, just th- what are your thoughts on this, like leading over the long term, right? So w- when, when we're looking at the future, the future of work, mm-hmm. um, how do we keep our young employees engaged from a leadership perspective in, 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 over the long haul? Involve them, uh, get them to be part of the problem solving. I mean, look, so many times I've heard uh, and seen companies do like trivia nights or, you know, wine tasting or, you know, whatever it might mm-hmm. be, some sort of like Something team development. off the side, yeah. Yeah, like, which, which, look, I'm not saying that that's not important. There's a time and a place for yeah. everything. But if you really want people to feel like they matter, if you really want them to feel important, to say, hey, look, here's the situation. We're up against four other companies on this and we need some sort of differentiator, something that gets us to stand out from the other three. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine just like being a young employee like, where your boss comes and asks you like, we got a big deal on the line. I like want that's your the company opinion. culture event. Oh yeah, man. At the yeah. bar. It's true. Yeah. 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 But like, here's the thing. When you start the, the Eleanor Roosevelt quote is this small minds discuss people, average minds discuss events and great minds discuss ideas. Right. Mm-hmm. And I found that when I had a personal backpacking trip in Australia, when I dropped out of school for a year, you know, mm-hmm. way back when, I found that I built so many connections with so many friends so fast. Why? Well, because we, we didn't have any people in common because we mm-hmm. came from different parts of the world. We didn't have any events in common because we just met five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And the same idea we're trying to solve is like, how do we get from A to B as cheap as possible while having as much fun as we possibly can? Mm-hmm. What happens is we immediately start discussing ideas and start building and creating together. So you want to lead to the long, lead in the long term, involve people in that process. And again, this isn't about going with the idea that the 22-year-old brings to the table. Mm-hmm. It's about involving them in that process. And then, look, if you don't go with that idea and you tell them why and they get to learn from it, man, what happens when they ask for that idea yeah. again? They're going to come with a different perspective. That example of, of the Australia trip is, is interesting because that's the one commonality you have with these other people. Like That's what you have in common is that you're there and you're trying to have a good mm-hmm. time on a trip. It's, it's a similar idea, I think, like with a team. The thing that you have in common with your friends that you work in the construction company mm-hmm. with is that is job, not not the cab the sauv right. or the Riesling well, that you're wine tasting. Like, like we, we don't work on the wine. Right. No. Like our, our common connection is on the work at hand. That, that's the, this is why it's like, it's so obvious that we miss it where it's like, we'll go and do a culture event, mm-hmm. which is like wing nights. And it's like, so Charlie, I hear mm-hmm. you're really into 
Um, I'm really here. You're into Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Okay, let's talk. Like, so tell me <laughs> what about, generation are you talking about? Yeah, no, about? it's like no, you know what I'm saying. You, yeah. like, you try to like you're build a manufacturer. Yeah, with this, but it's like, manufactured. Really bizarre yeah. way. You start yeah. complaining about the Canucks and you yeah. totally, and you go to like this really generic conversation. Yeah. That nobody really. But you wants do to have something have. in common. That's what I'm saying. Sure, so yeah. it's like, hey, man, like we yeah. have, like we ha- we do have this problem mm-hmm. with this customer. This job is like lagging like mm-hmm. what do you think is going on yeah. and then just sit back and listen they may have a great idea yeah. they may have an idea that's totally shit but mm-hmm. the point is you make them feel heard you mm-hmm. give them your attention you listen yeah. and even if they shoot one for ten sure it's still like that isn't is that where the bond is isn't that the 100%. entire like vc philosophy if we get one out of ten we're doing really well like <laughs> yeah. honestly totally. i mean nine out of ten and then we're gonna fail yeah, you don't need all the ideas but y- you need the occasional idea and more uh-huh. importantly than that you need the connection Right, that's, and that's so what we're talking about, it, if the if the if the you know entrepreneur or the employer says like, "What do you think about this?" and then you give me an answer, and the best question you can ask is like, "Well, what got you to that answer?" Then right. not only do you hear their way of thought, but then you hear their personal opinions, their experience, their backgrounds, their right. stories that ultimately allowed them to form that opinion in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a two for one right there. Nobody wants to feel like a cog in a machine, right? Like, and I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but but if you can't, even with a really hard labor job where they're slogging it out yeah. 10 hours a day, five days a week, like uh, making that person feel like their thoughts and ideas, like give them an opportunity to mm-hmm. strategize with you on something big or small, mm-hmm. I'm convinced you buy yourself time with that employee. Well, you create, you give, you give that relationship more runway because yeah, yeah. they go, you know what? I, I might just be on the end of a shovel right now because mm-hmm. I just started here, but I matter yeah. On, yeah. On, to some degree. But let's go back to what I might've said about 20 minutes ago. I think the one thing this generation wants more than previous generations because they had it is attention. Mm-hmm. And when I ask you what you mm-hmm. think about something, and I'm not mm-hmm. staring down at my phone or on a call or you know typing yeah. away at something else, I've actually given I'm, you I'm my giving attention. you my attention. Yeah. And not only am I giving you my attention, in a way, I'm giving you my trust. Yeah. And totally. when you can give that away, man, it is pretty cool to see what happens in return. Yeah. And 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 that is a fact. I think is I, at least I've observed it um, very closely. Is that generations past? It's not so crucial to them as it is mm-hmm. to, to this generation. It is an interesting theory what you say around like while they, yeah, they, they look at all sorts of cool stuff during the day and, and, and people interact with them in a superficial way a lot of the times through the technology that real human connection yeah. isn't there for them as much as it would have been for someone in 1940 mm-hmm. when we were physically together going through something hard like yeah. World War II yeah. or whatever. Um, and, and, and I think that that's an interesting thought that that stereotype might come from there, which is that young people need to be involved and in all. You can't just shut up, kid. This is what you're going right, to do. Right, right. Right? They want to be involved. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a very, really quick story. Um, my my friend Drew Green, he runs Indochino, based yeah. out of here in, in Vancouver. And through the pandemic and through this retail apocalypse, they've been able to open a new Indochino shop every month for the last mm-hmm. six years. So they've got over 70 Indochino shops all over wow. all over North America, which is an incredible accomplishment just as it it's is. A lot of people buying dress shirts when yeah. they don't go to the office. True, true. Well, again, we're talking about a general population now too. Um, and I and I asked him, I was like, Drew, what? Like, how do you like? How do you do this? How do you build a trust across your team? Like, how do you build all of these shops in such a short period of time, despite everything that's happening in the world? And um, he said, well, you know, I just make sure the trust is the number one thing on my team. I said, well, mm-hmm. how, how, how are you, how, like, what's your number one strategy for building trust? And he said something that surprised me. He said, he said, I ask for help. I said, okay, well, unpack that a little bit for me. He says, well, what happens when I ask for help is essentially what I'm telling the person that I'm asking help for. Is like, I'm, I'm giving you my trust first. Mm-hmm. And, and look, to be clear, he said, like, I'm, I don't mean I'm, like, piling a bunch of work onto their plates, but if... I'm asking you to help me with something that you know is really important to me. Mm-hmm. You know that I'm giving you my trust first. Mm-hmm. And when you need something in return, knowing that I already owe you one, you know you can trust me in return. Mm-hmm. And we've built this incredible yeah. sort of camaraderie mm-hmm. and this sort of sense of, of, of connection and community where, look, the best way that he's building trust is actually by asking for something. Well, that, that's how you demonstrate it. If you ask somebody a question, imp- there's implicit in that. Which takes it right back to where That's implicit yeah. in that. Hey, I, I'm asking you a question because I actually want your opinion. I yeah. want your opinion because I trust mm-hmm. you're intelligent. I trust right. you have perspective. I trust yeah. you. Yeah. 
So it's it's unbelievable the connection that you can create and foster just mm -hmm. by going to people and say, hey, can I get your take on something for five minutes? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, in like in more of the corporate world too, there's like all the engagement surveys that happen and there's all the survey fatigue and everything else. I checked the numbers and at, on average, 24% of engagement surveys are acted on. And so it's the, the, the best, the, you know, based on what you said is it's kind of like, um, hey, what do you think about about this thing? Right. And then just like looking away, like it's just like, it's yeah. just such an empty question. But if you're there listening to the response, say, okay, great. Here's what we're going to do about it. That's it. That's yeah. it. It's literally all of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So actionable item out of there. It doesn't have to be every one of your fun events or culture events, but in, in some places think not just we're going to paintball together. We're going to go have some fun, but we're going to talk about act actual stuff that's going on in our organization. It could be on the job site prior to yeah. like, you know, throwing a shovel in the ground or throwing paint on the wall yeah. or putting a shingle on the roof. You know, it doesn't have to be a bowling alley. It doesn't have to be a bar. Right. It certainly can be. And I think that these events are, are absolutely important. But the more we try and like manufacture these like fun events for the sake of mm -hmm. fun. And by the way, we're going to do some like team building stuff too. Mm -hmm. You kind of lose the spontaneity mm -hmm. of these mm -hmm. ideas because if someone's on the site and they've thought of something that's, that's really cool and they, they, they have to wait, you know, for the next, for the next uh, yeah, hockey game to, right. to be able to share that, uh, you've missed a big opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Benji, you and I were, we were literally having lunch yesterday, like completely unrelated to anything sales related. And we're just ended up talking about huge things that could be changed in the sales process, right? This stuff just like comes up. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's a very unstructured, it's very organic, but the point is we were both there. We were both present. We didn't have our phones in yeah. front of us and we weren't like, yeah. I wasn't thinking about the thing that we have to do tomorrow right. as easy as that would have been. We just like, boom, let's dive into this yeah. for 20 minutes. And that's and why I say innovation slow because you have to create that time first. Either of you could have said, no, I've got a call, I've got a meeting, I've got something. Yeah. I'm going to have lunch at my desk, I'm going to do like whatever it is. There could be a hundred excuses why you didn't go do that. And we like to think the benefit is that we get to go and hang out together for lunch. And sure, that's absolutely a benefit. But I actually think that that's actually a byproduct where the true benefit is be able to have conversations like this that you could have never planned. Yeah, yeah. Eric, I want to I wanna share with you sort of a, a, a final, I'll paint a picture. I okay. want your take on it. And maybe this is a good, as, a good, a good, as, a good a place as any to close. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is like a, t a tale of two individuals. Okay. So one, um, you know, good student in high school goes to university, gets a business degree. Maybe they do a couple years in the workforce. Maybe they go back to do an MBA. Maybe they go back to get a CFA, whatever. Let's say they're 30, 35 mm -hmm. now. They've been grinding it out in a cubicle dressing up for work every day. They feel meaningless. They're not actually making as much money as they thought they would by going this route to say nothing of inflation. I fr like I'm talking about actual people in mm -hmm. my life right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. this is, they might have. This isn't an archetype. Like, is, these are actual friends that I have who took, they said, you know what? This is the route. I'm going to go do this. Mm -hmm. They're miserable on some level. Sure. Okay. Here's the other picture. Uh, Young guy who goes, you know what? I really like working with my hands. I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a landscaper because I love it. I'm gonna be a carpenter because I love it. Mm -hmm. When they make that decision, they consciously go, I don't know if this is gonna lead to much, but I like it. Mm -hmm. Fast forward 10 to 15 years later, they're 30 to 35. They've got a business. Mm -hmm. They own some real estate. They've mm -hmm. got a they've got a huge skill set. Their business is multifaceted. They're investing in cool things. The person who went the route that they thought was going to you know, deliver them to the promised land is now miserable. The person who went the route that is maybe going to lead them to nowhere now is an entrepreneur making a ton of money, having an awesome life. How on earth are universities like winning this battle on some level and mm -hmm. what, do, what do our entrepreneurs need to do to showcase that lifestyle? tell the story because it's there. We're not mm. making this up. It's actually mm. it's happening. Real, it's yeah. actually there. How do we bridge this gap? How do we communicate with people so that they go, huh, I want what he has or I want what she has? <laughs> yeah, super easy question for sure. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, don't, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I have a good answer because it's insanely complicated, but I do have a couple of thoughts. Okay. Um, the first thing takes me back to Igor's grandma, okay? And the manual labor that she had to do to put food on the plate and keep the clothes washed and then dried. Then I look at our parents who were heavily influenced by our grandparents mm -hmm. 
and they were thinking, do whatever the hell you can to not live the life mm. that I did so that I could afford the quality of life that you got. By the way, I gave everything that I had to be able to put you into university so that you didn't have the quality of life that I did. We're not that far away from those people. Mm-hmm. And so our parents, in many cases, were saying, like, you're going to university so you don't have to live the life that I did, right? Because that's the American dream. That totally. is what we're supposed to do. We're, you know, we're talking dog, cat, son, daughter, white picket fence, an SUV in the driveway, maybe even a goldfish. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. These things have to take time. Generational changes happen, you know, in this case, these generational changes happen every 15 to 20 years. And so it is incremental. What the pandemic has shown us is that we have very much in the last 16 or 18 or 20 months or whatever it might be, we have as a society very much redefined what it means to be successful. Mm. And by that, I mean, it's not just the amount of money that we have in our wallet, the NFTs that we can buy, though some might, might think different, maybe even here. Um, but it's going to be the quality of life that we have, realizing that the time with her family is short, life is precious, life is very fragile, and now we can sort of recalibrate as to what it means to be successful. Would I push anyone who wants to go the CFA route away from that? No, what I would ask them is like, why do you really want it? Is it because your parents want you to do it or is it because you want to do it? Because I think the real answer to your question is where are those pressures, those influences, and most importantly, where is that education coming from? Yeah. Because my guess is the parental factor is far more uh, heavy mm-hmm. than we'd like to admit. Mm-hmm. Who do we want to be proud of us? Ourselves? In my case, no. I would way rather my parents be proud of me than my, me proud of myself, for mm-hmm. sure which is what pushed me into this entrepreneurial journey in the first place. And I think when we start to see the quality of life, the stories being told, the understanding of what we can build in the space, when we start showcasing the lives of the people that already work with us that do such incredible jobs and have built incredible families and businesses along the way, Mm -hmm. that if we were to fast forward this conversation another two generations down the road, I think education is going to be different. I think the debt situation is going to be Mm -hmm. different. I think the definition of success is going to be different. And the main thing that we're going to be going for is ultimate happiness in a lifestyle. And I think if we Mm -hmm. can start to tell that story now and educate parents, like almost a reverse education, then I think we're going to have a lot more success. Pendulum will start to swing back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the right kind of messaging from an employer brand perspective, uh, there are really cool stories to be told. To be told and not told yet. And, and yeah. I'm not saying that there are no stories being told, but I think that's where the greatest opportunity is. Yeah. Yeah. My, my probably single biggest takeaway from our conversation here today is to own who you are mm-hmm. in your industry and as a company. Be proud of it. Mm-hmm. Be proud of it because that message to what Eric's saying is going to resonate with the right set of people, not with everybody, mm-hmm. but with the right set of people. If you, if you know who you are and you articulate it well, it as, as an employer brand, mm-hmm. the right people will come, but you have to be able to tell those stories. It's probably. funny. We have no problem doing that with politics right? <laughs> or with like COVID and how we stand on that. We have no problem right. broadcasting it to the world, but we think that because we might have a little bit of paint underneath our fingernails that people don't want to hear about that. Like, yeah. Come on. Give that's Cause it's bullshit. not as cool as totally at Zoom. <laughs> no, it's not on Instagram. Yeah. 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 Be, be proud of it. Yeah. Honor it. Communicate it as well as you can. And I think you might be pleasantly surprised by how many, you know, Gen Zers want yeah. that also. And remember, you don't need all of them. No. You're looking for a few of them. Yeah. One at yeah. a time, usually. Totally. Maybe, I'll, yeah. maybe I'll close in saying that when you try and be everything to everyone, you end up being nothing to anyone. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the biggest yeah. problem. Eric, um, I really, really love this. Uh, where can people find out a bit more about you and your work? Um, we'll probably put in the show notes, just like erictermundi.com. Check out my book, uh, Rethink Work. And um, if anyone wants to continue the conversation, tell me I'm absolutely crazy for what I'm thinking. I'm uh, absolutely open to it too. Awesome. Cool. Great. Cool. Check out Eric's Eric's website. His last name is hard to spell. I still sometimes have trouble with it. Yeah, so it's almost right on the show notes, but we're close. <laughs> so check it out in the link in the description. We'll yeah. link over to Eric's website. Uh, but Eric, thanks so much for being awesome. on today, man. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Appreciate Thank it. you. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.